So, Anissa, how'd you sleep last night? Well, I slept very well, partly to the fact that I didn't sleep that well the night before. So, feel really good. How did you sleep last night, Kate? Um, well, first of all, I slept on the couch. Oh, no. So, um, <laughs> you know, by definition, not that well. We're in this horrible pattern where um, our son wakes up in the middle of the night, and we go back and forth. One of us uh, stays with him in the bed, and one of us sleeps on the couch. And actually, the sleeping on the couch person gets the better sleep. Oh, because really? Because they don't get, like, jabbed by the toddler. But I still don't sleep very well because, A, the couch isn't comfortable, I hear all of the apartment noises that you don't hear in the bedroom. So last night it was like the radiator, the cats with their bowls in the kitchen, like all of oh, the clock ticking above my head. Oh, God. Like that, you know when you can't fall asleep and it's like tick, tick, Yeah, tick. yeah. And it's kind of just like it's counting the time when you're supposed to sleep. Yeah, the precious minutes you're, thinking, you're losing. Oh, no, 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 no. Five, I'm, I'm only sleeping five hours if I sleep now. And it's mm-hmm. like I just lost an extra hour. So why didn't you sleep well the night before? It was mostly anxiety, stress-related stuff. That's the only thing that's really keeps me from sleeping well these days. Is it like your mind is running and you can't yeah. shut it off? And if I've done something where I'm actively thinking about something, then my mind races and I don't stop thinking for about three hours. And you're like so, trying to solve the problem? Yeah. Or, yeah. And then, so how were you on work on Wednesday? Like, do you get distracted more? You can't focus? It's more, literally, I just start getting very sleepy. (laughs) I'll I'll keep an eye to see if your head is nodding. So then then I have to go and walk around a little bit more. Um, But I definitely saw myself drifting off a couple of times and being like, I've read the sentence about (laughs) for the last last 15 minutes. Maybe it's time for me to stand up. And then you notice the difference when you do get sleep like I remember there was a time when my son was a newborn that I was like not getting any sleep at all and like somehow still basically functioning but then one night I got like seven hours in a row and I came in I was like I have so many ideas that's how I felt this morning when I got an extra hour of sleep and I was just like wow I'm not distracted I'm I'm not gonna get my phone I'm not falling asleep at my desk (laughs) is this what it feels like (laughs) every day this is what it's supposed to be like every day why is it not possible yeah yeah exactly Welcome to Fast Company's Secrets of the Most Productive People, a podcast where we try to figure out how to work smarter instead of harder and dissect exactly how to get it all done. I'm Fast Company Senior Editor Kate Davis. And I'm Editorial Assistant Anissa Purbisari Horden. We're seeped in productivity advice. Every day we get dozens of books and PR pitches. And over the years at Fast Company, we've written thousands of articles on every imaginable aspect of productivity. Every aspect, from taking cold showers to drinking mushroom coffee for supposedly better cognitive (laughs) benefits. (laughs) Right, but there's one topic that comes up the most. And it's asleep. Definitely sleep. Which makes sense when you think about it, right? Because sleep's at the root of all the other productivity issues that we cover, like focus and decision-making and time management. Nobody thinks they're getting enough sleep. Everyone wants to offer advice and tips and tricks and routines around sleep. Before we go any further, Anissa, can you break down why sleep is so important to our work lives? Sure. So sleep basically affects every single aspect of our work lives. If we don't get enough sleep, we can't focus and we can't concentrate. According to the Division of Sleep Medicine at Harvard, If we even get one less hour of sleep, we're going to pay for it in pretty much every way. Our judgment, our mood and ability to learn and retain information, and we're also more at risk of serious injuries and accidents. I mean, 
I can definitely think of a few times when I've been sleep deprived and I almost walked into a pole. God, that's so it's so scary. And it's so scary to think like one hour of sleep can make you likely to walk into something. Mm -hmm. And it's I remember hearing that um, driving while sleep deprived is as bad as driving drunk. Mm -hmm. And it's just so scary to think because like how many people are on the road without enough sleep right exactly and not just you know how many people on the road how many people are doing dangerous jobs when they're not getting enough sleep because i'm sure that not everyone in america is getting eight hours i know well and at least our jobs are low stakes right like we're not hopefully your brain typo (laughs) right hopefully your brain surgeon has enough sleep but yeah yeah yeah, exactly (laughs) when we get a bad night of sleep it's not just one isolated incident. If we wake up tired, we are not in the greatest mood, and then we probably won't be making productive decisions. Uh, I know that when I wake up really tired, I don't really feel like going to the gym or whatever it is in the morning that we do to be healthy and productive. And then by the time we get to the office, we probably are reaching for that fourth, fifth, sixth, or seventh cup of coffee. I know people who have eight cups of coffee a day. And then, you know, when that 3 p.m. hits, we're probably not going to make the greatest decision. We're not going to be reaching for an apple or carrot sticks. We want sugar-laden donuts. And so it just, like, gets worse, like, throughout the day. Yeah. Exactly. And then so we end up staying at work later because we can't focus. And then we go home later and the vicious cycle just continues. So we could talk about sleep for hours and we'll definitely revisit it in future episodes. But for now, let's dive into the root of the problem. What's ruining your sleep? Okay, first let me set up the problem a little bit. Here's some numbers. A recent study found that 76% of the U.S. workforce is tired on most weekdays. And the National Sleep Foundation says that one in five American adults shows sign of chronic sleep deprivation. That's a lot of people. Yeah. According to studies, some of the most common things that keep people up at night are hopefully some of the easiest to solve. Things like temperature and noise and light or an uncomfortable mattress. But what about the two big things keeping us up at night? Stress and other people. Yeah, I mean, stress is definitely something that affects my sleep on a regular basis. There are other things, of course, like if I skip the gym too many days in a row or I've had coffee too late at night or I've been eating too much sugar... But those things are really easy to fix, right? Stress, however, I feel like it's a whole other beast. So according to the CDC, the Center of Disease Control and Prevention, who do these types of sleep studies all the time, ongoing stress is a major reason why so many Americans have chronic sleep disorders. I mean, that makes sense because you can't, like, you can control how many cups of coffee you drink and you can control your mattress and all that but you can't like control your stress usually I mean, some people have tried <laughs> you know yeah like you can't well and especially if it's especially when it's i mean stress comes from like outside factors and if your job is stressful or other things in your life are stressful you can't just be like well i'm stopping those things from happening you know a lot of it's out of your hands yeah and you know for a lot of people work stress is just something that we all have to deal with i mean we all have to make money somehow and usually that involves going to a job and While we might love certain parts of it, there are other parts of it that are stressful. Um, I've personally tried really hard to implement all of the advice that we write about to calm my stress and, you know, to sleep better. I've tried listening to a hypnosis app for 20 minutes. I took a bath in my not-so-nice bathtub with Epsom salt. And then I learned that the activity that I do doesn't matter as much as taking that time to wind down. But the problem is when... I go home late and I need an hour or two to wind down. I get less sleep. So then the same problem happens. Yeah, it's like those 
and it's such good advice that bedtime routine of like not having looking at screens and like winding yourself down and stuff and it helps it helps with your mind wandering but yeah if you're <laughs> getting to bed later at night then it kind of defeats the purpose exactly yeah, I'm tired every single day now, and weekends are no different than weekdays. Unfortunately, you know, it used to be like I could sleep in and, and catch up on the weekends, which isn't really a thing, by the way. But um, <laughs> no, you can't bank sleep. Um, but I can't even do that anymore. And the only comfort that I take in it is that I know that I'm not alone. Surveys found that 71% of people say that their partners keep them up at night. That's a really high percentage. I think it's a lot of snoring. Wow. Um, I'm just assuming. And then 35% say that their young kids keep them up at night. Only 35%? I feel like every new mother I've talked to yeah. has talked about sleep deprivation. I can't think of anyone yeah. who hasn't yeah, complained exactly. about their kids but, keeping them up. But between those two, it's a lot of other people keeping them up at night. And there's a ton of sleep training advice for babies and toddlers, and that's a whole controversial can of worms that I don't want to get into. And then, you know, and there's also a lot of products um, that, for example, you can use if like your partner snores. But honestly, the most effective thing that I've heard if the person that you're sharing a bed with is keeping you up is um, kind of sad, but pretty obvious, and it's uh, sleep alone. That is the saddest advice I've ever heard. <laughs> I don't know if I want to try that. <laughs> I mean, you know, it might come down to it. It's, it's Obviously, it's not very feasible if you don't have a guest room or two, you know, twin beds like Leave it to Beaver. Uh, yeah, maybe, hopefully there's better advice out there. But for now, it's, it's sleep alone. I mean, I think it's probably more common than we think. I feel like I read somewhere where a lot more couples do this than it seems they do. But I don't know. It just seems a little bit too kind of... I don't know if I'm willing to go that far for the sake of my productivity, well, and I go pretty far. Well, hopefully there's better advice out there. So since Kate and I clearly have trouble figuring out what we need to do to get a better night's sleep, I decided to talk to an expert. So today we're talking to Gary Zamet. He is an executive director and founder of the Sleep Disorders Institute in New York, where he helps people who have trouble sleeping on how they can sleep better. Okay, well, it's nice to meet you both. My name is Dr. Gary Zamet. I am the executive director of the Sleep Disorders Institute. We are the largest accredited sleep disorder center in the region. So, Gary, what kind of sleep did you get last night? I had a terrific night of sleep. Got into bed, fell asleep quickly, stayed asleep until I woke up, as I usually do, without an alarm at about 4.30 this morning. That is amazing, and I'm very jealous. Sleep has become such an all-encompassing problem in our work life. From a professional standpoint and from someone who obsesses and researches sleep, what does that look like from your end? Getting the sleep that you need is probably more challenging today than it has ever been in history. 100 years ago, we were probably sleeping one to two hours more on average every day. Now, with lighting uh, and so many other things, we can combat the darkness and stay up later. We've really become a 24-7 society. That said, there is a silver lining to this, and that is that we also know more about sleep today and about sleep disorders than we ever have before. We have identified more than 80 different sleep disorders. So people with sleep problems like insomnia or many, many other disorders, they can talk to their doctors, they can get a referral to a sleep specialist, and they can get treated. Do you think that it has gotten worse? Absolutely. I think it has gotten worse within the past 10 years. I think that may relate to 
the availability and the common use of mobile devices. People can now take their technology literally to bed with them. All of these um, bits of technology have become more pervasive, and we do all of these activities by cheating on sleep. I'm curious, there's also a lot of uh, obsession, I feel, with getting up early. It's kind of become the productivity thing now, and I've also heard arguments there for people where that's not necessarily their natural sleep pattern that they're used to. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's interesting, because some people do view short sleep as a sign of high productivity or high achievement. That's not necessarily true. Some people are shorter sleepers than others. But if you're not a short sleeper and you're getting less sleep than you need because you're going to bed too late or getting up early, it means that you're going to be sleep deprived during the day. So we know that if you're not getting the sleep you need, um, your mental acuity can decline. You may experience changes in mood, irritability, low mood. It may impair your social functioning, may impair your occupational functioning, and may impair your ability just to enjoy the experiences that you're enjoying. So if you're not getting the sleep that you need because you're getting up so early, you may be negatively impacting your performance, your achievement, and ultimately you know, your ability to achieve your goals. Why do you think that is? Because as someone who reads a lot about sleep, I feel like that is an obvious thing that I've noticed. You know, you mentioned about irritability and mood swings. Definitely when I haven't had a good night's sleep, I'm a lot less productive. And when I have had a good night's sleep, I'm a lot more productive. Why is it that people don't make that connection when it seems like it's such an obvious connection to make? Well, it may be because we're all driving so hard these days. It just may not be evident that something that seems so insignificant as sleep should have an impact on the rest of our very important lives. But it's true that that it does. And sometimes folks just don't make that connection. Do you ever think about the economic impact that that has on the U.S. workforce and the world? Yes. The economic impact is probably significant. We know, for example, that major accidents and disasters have been related to sleepy people. The Exxon Valdez, the Chernobyl nuclear incident, decisions made by sleepy operators. Right. I want to move on now to some of the sleep issues that Uh, I have personally been facing and my colleague Kate has and I'm sure that this is probably a common problem that a lot of people face so for me the single biggest problem that I face when it comes to either falling asleep or having a good night's sleep is stress and anxiety. The best thing to do is to try to put that worry into a daytime situation or into an awake situation and I'll give you two ways that people can do that. Um, one way is that if worries are recurrent, um, we often tell people to create worry time during the day. Right. I've heard that advice before. So I ask patients, how much time do you lay awake in bed worrying? And somebody might say, well, I lay there awake for an hour worrying. And I say, okay, well, let's find a nice quiet chair that you can sit in during the day. And I want you to sit there for an hour And I want you to just worry about all the things that you normally worry about at night. And the the patient may say, Well, gee, I don't I don't have an hour in the in the day. I can't spend an hour a day worrying about that. And then it suddenly dawns on them that if it's not worth worrying about during the day, it's not worth worrying about at night. 
Um, and if it is worth worrying about, let's move it into the day. Use that worry time. So that's one thing we can do. A second thing we can do if you find that you're laying awake in bed is something that we call a stimulus control therapy. It's a fancy term for a very simple procedure. And it's based on the classical conditioning experiments of Ivan Pavlov. So what we want to do is to break the relationship um, that learned response between being in bed and being awake worrying. Um, And the way to do that is that you literally get out of bed, go to another room, and engage in some sedentary behavior until you feel sleepy again, and then go back into bed and try to sleep. So what do you, when you talk about sedentary behavior, do you mean reading or is there specific activities? It could be reading, it could be crocheting, uh, watching TV. The, the objective is not to do anything that's overly stimulating. So um, maybe not watching you know, a political debate or right. <laughs> or something like that. I'm sure that's also that. a big part of stress yeah. for a lot of people yes. <laughs> these days. Yes. So, uh, but really something that's going to be calming and, and soothing. So you do that for a little while until you feel sleepy, you get back into bed. And then if you still can't fall asleep then, then you get up out of bed and then try again. People ha- often have to do it many, many nights in a row before they see it actually taking effect. Right. So what about when it comes to new parents? Because that's not necessarily something they can control. Well, yeah, absolutely. And and new parents have their challenges. And certainly with infants, there's not much that you can do except to be good co-parents and play off of each other. So with infants, people have to kind of adapt and and tolerate because there really are no choices. But as the infant gets older, and certainly, you know, once a child is, you know, a year, two, three years old, you can begin to reinforce structured bedtimes and make sure that the child doesn't have any secondary gain or any benefits of waking you up in the middle of the night. So for, for your colleague, I would wonder... Is there some kind of reward, even inadvertent, that the child is getting from going in and waking up mommy? My last question, how do you deal with this in your own personal life? How do you approach sleep? Well, personally, I've learned that I function best when I'm an early riser. So my typical rise time is about 4.30 in the morning. So I have to be in bed by 9.30 or 10 o'clock at night in order to get a full night of sleep and feel rested the next day. And I try to keep that schedule regularly. Now, some people may think that I'm an extremely boring person, but I can be exciting during the day. Dr. Gary Zammett, thank you very much for coming on the podcast today. Well, thank you very much. Okay, so what do you think of his advice, the like setting time aside to worry about things? I actually gave this a try, and my results were somehow mixed. What I did find, though, which was helpful, was that setting aside a time to worry kind of gave me the permission to worry, if that makes sense. Because before, whenever I worried about something, I tried, I'd try to fight it. You'd like I'd, feel bad to yourself, like, stop doing that. Yeah, Don't exactly. Worry. And yeah. we all know that like, it's kind of like when you're trying to get to sleep, right? And you're like, you have to get to sleep. And wor- it always just makes it worse because you're fighting it. So... I kind of experimented with a few different formats. One of them was I set aside um, time when I was at the gym. I'm usually like happy because of endorphins and I feel good. So maybe it'll be more of a productive worry and I'll find things that I can actually control, which of course didn't happen because the whole thing about worrying is usually you end up worrying about stuff you can't control. And then I tried to do it in my commute because I was like, well, it's already pretty unpleasant. Um, so what's 
what's like, you know, an additional 10 or 15 minutes of worrying. And then I was like, well, this is depressing. I don't want to spend my commute worrying. I want to go and listen to a happy podcast instead. So it was kind of weird when I actually tried set aside time to worry. I didn't want to worry. It was like the rebel in me was like, no. I love that you were like, my worry time was not productive enough. <laughs> that's how that's how productivity focused you are. But I think that the biggest like key to falling asleep is just total exhaustion. Like yeah, just being exactly. so exhausted that like it doesn't matter who's making noise or what you're worrying about. Like you just can't, you have to fall asleep. Yeah, I think what I did learn was that, okay, I'm probably not going to continue to set aside worry time. Because I can't, I can't control when my worry comes. Sometimes it just randomly happens. And I, I don't know, the thing about how, like, okay, I'm not allowing myself to worry about this. I'm worrying about this at 6 p.m. when I, you know, when I leave work. Stressing out about when you're allowed to yeah, worry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, it, but then if I'm like, no, I'm just going to worry and I kind of let it happen. It's like I've heard in meditation where you kind of just observe your feelings, but you don't react to it and you don't attach any meaning like to it. Like clouds passing by. I can't say that. I can't <laughs> say that. I'm like, I'm doing it perfectly. There's definitely still times when yeah. I'm like, wait, I shouldn't be worrying. I need to do other <laughs> things. And then I'm like, no, you know what? I don't know. I think it's awareness more than anything else. Well, just stay up tonight and then you'll get a good sleep tomorrow night. <laughs> So that's yeah. my professional advice. I won't be that productive tomorrow, though. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, that's true. not going to work. True. So what about the sleep training thing? Yeah, we're no. <laughs> I So here's my view on it is there's going to be a time when he doesn't need me at night and he I'm embarrassing him. And right now, I even though I'm tired all the time, I'll just enjoy him being a sweet little boy that wants to hold my hand to fall asleep. So my, my solution is to just be tired for a couple of years, I think. <laughs> I mean, it's good that you um, and your husband take turns yes, taking care yes, of him, right? Because yes. he did also say that one of the big things is you have to be a co-parent. Yes. Oh, that's the biggest tip for any working parent ever is to, if you can, if you're lucky enough to have a, a partner, to share the responsibilities, for sure. Yeah. And when you do pick a partner, make sure you have those <laughs> conversations before yes. you have kids yes. so that yes. you do share responsibilities. Yes, exactly. And that's it for this week's episode of Secrets of the Most Productive People. Hopefully, you'll enjoy a better night's sleep tonight. If you have any tips on how Kate and I could sleep better, please let us know using the hashtag FCMostProductive. You can find our social handles below. Next week, we'll be talking about how you can focus in an open office. And in the meantime, make sure to check out Fast Company's other podcast, Creative Conversation. Like and subscribe to this podcast and that one on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you later. Bye. Bye. <laughs>